Take your Bibles this evening. We're going to turn open to the book of Romans. It's there in the New Testament. Get past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And we are going through Romans chapter 8 together in our evening services. And last week, one of our pastoral interns, Joe Lukens, took us up through uh, verse 25. And this evening, what I want to do is look at Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. And let's go ahead and we're going to pray before we open up God's holy and errant word this evening. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that that still small voice of yours, that you would thunder in our hearts and our minds this evening. Take this word, this living word, Speak to us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. This is the holy and errant word of God. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Though the grass withers and the flower fades, the Word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. If you think back to last week, if you were with us last week, Paul had just finished in that section of Romans 8 talking about our suffering. And if you look back up to verse 18, you'll see there in the text that he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And when you think about times of incredible suffering, Most of you have been through some kind of season like that. You go through a time of suffering. There is usually some ready companions that come along with suffering. And one of those things is that sense of hopelessness. That hopelessness kind of creeps in and finds its way into our soul and grabs a hold when we're in the midst of severe suffering. It's one of the things you most need to remember when you're counseling or speaking with a friend or a family member or a neighbor who's going through a, a time of extreme suffering, that usually hopelessness, if it's not there, it's just outside the door and seeking to make its way in. And so, Paul addresses the hope that we have as he's speaking there in Romans and talking about the suffering that the church is going through and that Christians experience, he immediately runs to giving them hope, the hope that we have of glory and that expectation. And that's what he did in the passage that Joe looked at last week. The other thing that often accompanies suffering, not just hopelessness, but there also tends to be a a sense of aloneness. Of I'm alone in this. You often hear that from the psalmists as they're 
wrestling in the Psalter, going through some time of severe suffering, and the psalmist will say something about feeling alone, abandoned by himself. Because suffering can be one of the most truly isolating things in all of life. And that's why Paul now says this. He says, likewise, in our verses, he's providing another comfort in the midst of suffering. You've experienced hopelessness and suffering. Well, let me give you the great hope of glory. And now he's saying you're experiencing within your suffering aloneness, a sense of isolation, of being without anyone or anything. And now he's going to provide comfort for that. You have hope for the future. Paul was telling the church. But his great comfort is that in the present, you are not left without anything. You know you have great comfort. You have someone that has been given to you. You're not alone. We need to repeat that and think over and over to ourselves when we're in the midst of suffering that we're not alone. We've been given the great gift of, as Paul will tell us here in this text, the gift of the Spirit. We're not alone. In the midst of severe trial, Jason, you're not alone. In the midst of severe suffering with a friend, remind them they're not alone. I want to look at this passage this evening in three ways. The first is the reality of our present weakness. The second is the relief of the Spirit's present help. And finally, the reliance we can have upon God in prayer. So, first, the reality of our present weakness. First, if you look at this text, you see that Paul begins, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And there are many ways that we are weak, and I think Paul is alluding to all of them in one sense and saying, look, you are very weak, dear Christian. But in this text, we have two strong evidences of our weakness that he is highlighting. The first is that you and I even have the need to pray. Before we even begin to look at the Spirit's help in prayer, we have to realize that the prayer itself demonstrates that you and I are incredibly weak. Why do we pray? Because we're not sovereign, because we can't control everything, because we're weak. By very definition, prayer is a recognition of our weakness. And maybe that's why it's so hard to do. Robert Murray McShane once famously said that if you want to humble a Christian, you just ask them about their prayer life. And that's true. It's hard for all of us to pray. Even the best among us, even those who spend the most time in prayer, have the most fervent prayer lives, struggle in prayer. And that's what's absolutely fascinating. The second way that prayer shows our weakness is that when we do kneel and when we do pray and when we do get alone in our closet, we don't even know what to pray for. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, Paul says in verse 26. There's an oughtness about prayer, not just that we ought to do it, but what we ought to pray about. 
If prayer shows our weakness, the fact that we even struggle to know what to pray when we do pray magnifies our weakness. Now, in part, we we know what to pray. You know that you're to pray according to God's will, and you know that God has revealed His will to you in the Scriptures. And so, one of the great ways to pray is to pray the Bible. You know that when you pray the promises of God and you pray the things of the Scriptures, that it's according to God's will, and that's something good to pray. So you can pray, Lord, thy kingdom come. That's a good prayer. You can pray, Lord, don't let the gates of hell hell prevail against the church. That's a good prayer. But there are other times we're just not quite sure what to pray. Because it's not quite as explicit, is it? Paul will say in Philippians that when we are anxious, he says, let your requests be made known to God. There are things that we desire. There are things that have us fretting and concerned. And we're to offer those to God in prayer. But sometimes we just don't know what to pray about regarding these things. What do I pray about this thing that's occupying my mind and occupying my heart and weighing down my soul. It's even hard to to get words out sometimes. I've often thought that one of my greatest fears in life, things I think I would most struggle with, is if I had a stroke and my mind and my speech were impaired in some way. I've seen when someone has had a stroke and you ask them a question, it's painful to see them try to to get words out. You ask them that question and there is clearly turmoil behind their eyes. You can see they're trying to get their mind around an idea and they're, they're trying to form their lips into some semblance of what is in their mind and and they will stutter and they will stop and they will start and they'll finish and they've said almost nothing. That's often how our prayers feel. It just stutters and starts and we get to the end of them and feel like, oh, I don't know that I really said anything. Not even sure what I said. There is this inner angst, there is sorrow, there's anger, but when we bow our knees and close our eyes, we don't quite know what to say or how to say it. There's a wrestling in prayer. In the uh, pastoral connecting points video, one of them this week, I was talking to you about Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane and those very interesting words. When Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, we're told that Luke tells us that he prayed even more earnestly. 
even more earnestly, he, he was wrestling with his father's will as he was upon his knees in prayer to the, the point of sweating drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane. Much like Jacob through the night who wrestled with God to be blessed, so our Savior was wrestling with his father's will. That's often how prayer feels. It feels like a wrestling. Not quite sure what to say. The psalmist in Psalm 61, he begins his psalm this way. He says, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. Form from the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. He's weak. He, he feels his heart failing within him. He says he feels like he's at the ends of the earth. Now, was he sitting on top of the North Pole or on top of the South Pole? No. But he felt like it because he feels so isolated from people and from God. And so what does he say? What, what does he do? He says that he just cries out. That's all he can get out. He, he just gets out a cry and, and prayer to God. A groaning. I'm not quite sure what to say. But we, we voice our pain. We voice the anguish of our soul. We, we voice our cry. There are other times that a decision has to be made. I, I could do this or I could do that. And I, I can make a list of pros and cons, and I put up those ledgers of pros and cons, and it seems like they're dead even. Do I do this or do I do that? And there are going to be people that are going to be hurt if I do this, and there are going to be people that are going to be hurt if I do that. And they both seem like viable options biblically. They don't do violation to what God has commanded. So what do I pray? What, what do I pray would be done in such a circumstance? What's the answer to this situation? Our other questions begin to, to form in our heads while we're praying. Is, is there a sin motivation in my heart that I want this thing and I just can't see that this is sin-induced? Or maybe there's something I don't know or something I haven't seen or something I don't understand. Or maybe there's some scripture that comes to bear upon this question or this inner turmoil, and I just don't know that scripture or just don't understand that scripture. So I, I don't know what to pray. But here's the encouraging truth in these verses. We're not left alone in our weakness. Our second point, the relief of the Spirit's present help. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us. We're not alone. The Spirit's role here is twofold. You'll see it in verse 26 and verse 27. Verse 26, He helps us. Verse 27, He intercedes for us. He helps us and He intercedes for us. Let's look at both of those. 
Jesus in John 14 when he is speaking to the disciples and he says this about when he ascends to the Father and he'll say that he will ask the Father and, quote, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And then in John 15, he says this, but when the helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Spirit is the helper. And he comes to help us. Sent by the Father and sent by the Son into this world to indwell us and help us. How? Well, primarily by conforming and working within us so that we are more and more conformed into the likeness and the image of our Savior Christ Jesus. He's working the will of the Father and the Son within us and through us. So He's working in our minds and He's working in our affections and He's working in our hearts and He's working in our souls to conform us more to the likeness of Christ, to the very will of God. He is always working in us for the glory of the Son and for the glory of the Father, pointing us over and over and over again to the Father and to the Son. He helps us. Spirit has rightfully been called the shy member of the Trinity. He is... God of God, just as the Son is God of God, just as the Father is God of God. He is equal in power. He is equal in dignity with the Son, even as He is with the Father. And yet, in the economy of the Trinity, He is the person who seeks to point to the other two. He points to the Son, and He points to the Father. He is the shy member of the Trinity. He isn't looking for acclaim. He's the helper. He's pointing to the Father and the Son. He is helping to manifest and to bring about the will of the triune Godhead here on earth. And He is helping us to look more like the Son, to give more glory to the Father. Always pointing to them. He's the shy member of the Trinity. You know, it's fine at times, I think, to highlight the Spirit, to sing to Him, to pray to Him. But what He delights in is seeing the Son and the Father magnified. Because that's His role. That's His joy. And you have to know the person. My family members who, if I did the exact same thing in the exact same place with them, that they would have vastly different responses. If we went to a Mexican restaurant together as the Philopolis family, when finally the stay-at-home order is done and we go to a Mexican restaurant, I was reading Someone put on social media the other day, they said, when this stay-at-home order is over, the police are going to have to remove me from a Mexican restaurant. And I would give that an amen. But if we went to a Mexican restaurant 
And we walked in the door, and the hostess was there, and I pulled the hostess aside and whispered to him or her, to her, and said, my sweet girl, my daughter Grayson, it's her birthday. And knowing that what would take place after that is that they would come to the table and they would put a big sombrero on her head and they would sing in that kind of fiesta-style happy birthday to her and there would be a smile that would be glued on her face. And afterwards, she would come up to me and she would give me a hug because she would feel so loved. Now, if we went into that same Mexican restaurant and it was now my wife's birthday, I don't even have to ask her whether she wants me to tell the hostess it's her birthday because she doesn't want a sombrero. She doesn't want a happy birthday song at the top of their lungs. She doesn't want the attention. The Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity. He's not looking for a claim. He comes as the helper. He comes to help us be more conformed to the image of Christ, to the glory of the Son and the Father. So you're not alone. And He comes to magnify them because it gives praise to the whole triune Godhead. You're indwelt, dear Christian, by the living Spirit of God. You are not alone. You're not alone in seeking God's will. You're not alone in becoming more like Christ. You're not alone in your prayer life. The Spirit indwells you. He helps us in our weakness. He doesn't in this life remove all our weaknesses. Rather, He helps us in our weakness. When Ethan, my son, was two years old, uh, we were in a church plant. I was pastor of a church plant, and we met in a, a school, a local elementary school. And when you're meeting in a facility like that, and you're meeting each week, you have to set up and you have to tear down each week. And so every week, I would, I would bring everything into the school building that we needed for that Sunday. And every week I had this big box that I kept in the trunk of my car that was filled with Bibles and hymnals. And every week I would carry in that big box into the school building. And Ethan watched me do it every week. And there was one Sunday that in his two, two-and-a-half-year-old way, he demanded to, to carry that box in on that Sunday morning. He wanted to carry Daddy's box. And I remember taking the box and putting it on the ground and then putting him in front of the box and, and straddling around him and putting my arms around him and then lifting up the box and putting it in his arms. I remember just the, the smile beaming across his face. He was carrying Daddy's box. 
what he didn't know was he was weak. And Daddy's arms were underneath his arms. And his father's hands were, were holding that box. Now, I gave him just enough weight so that his little tiny two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old muscles were straining and they were tense and he was carrying it, but he wasn't carrying it. And his weakness, I was his strength. We are weak. He is strong. And here's what was guaranteed. It was guaranteed that that box was going to make it into the school. Because his father was carrying the box. His father was supporting him and willing it to happen. The father and the son work in us. Give us strength when we are weak by the power of the Spirit. He helps us in our weakness. And one of the most obvious ways in our, is in our prayer lives. We don't know what to pray. We, we groan. And He makes sense of it. He, he carries it forward and He carries it up to the Father. It doesn't just hit the ceiling. It goes beyond because the Spirit is carrying it. Paul says the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And that leads to our final point, the reliance we can have upon God in prayer. We're not alone. And here we see that the Christian has the best of intercessors. They're the best of intercessors. The very Son of God, we are told in Hebrews 7, ever lives to intercede for us in the heavens. And here we are told the very Spirit of God dwells in our hearts and ever lives to intercede for us. We have the Son in heaven and we have the Spirit in our hearts ever living to intercede for us. We're not alone. There could be no more operative strength exercised on behalf of the Christian than the Son and the Spirit interceding for him or her. What greater strength could there be? What greater help could there be? Talk about help. Paul says the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Our groanings become His groanings. and They are lifted up into the heavens before the very throne of God. And He knows the will of the Father. And this means that though my prayers may be a mess, they may at times be nonsensical, though they may be, but cries and groans at times. They go far beyond the ceiling. And they accomplish more than I can possibly know. Because the Spirit groans my groans on my behalf, and they make their way to heaven 
completely intelligible to God. They are, as one saint wonderfully said, they are perfected on the way up. The power in prayer is not in what you say, it's not in how you say it, but in Him who prays with and for us. The very third person of the triune Godhead is praying your prayers for you. They're made effectual. They're made powerful. They're not alone. As I said to you before, I think if we knew the power of our prayers by the Spirit, we would never get off of our knees. There's so much comfort in prayer. You and I understand it like this. It's far less of a burden. And that's Paul's point. It's a gift. You know, I think maybe if we saw prayer less like the image that often comes to our minds of people before that wailing wall and kind of head bobbing and standing there and we saw it more like a young child that crawls up on her father's lap and she looks up into his face and she speaks to him as he wraps his arms around her in love and he looks down upon her in love and she speaks to him. It's, it's not all sensical. It doesn't all makes sense. It doesn't all even seem appropriate at times, and yet she's looking upon, he is looking upon her with a father's eye, an eye of love, and he loves to hear from her. And in that fatherly way, it, it makes sense. And what's appropriate is Accepted, and what isn't, isn't. But he listens like a father. We're not alone. Despite whatever suffering you're in the midst of, you're not alone. Paul is reminding you that you have hope in the midst of your suffering. You have the hope of glory. But it's not as if just you and I have to just constantly keep banking upon all of eternity, and that's the only comfort that we have in the present. No, that is a great comfort in the present. It is maybe the greatest comfort in the present, and that's why he begins with it. But you also have the comfort in the present that God is with you. He abides with you. He has not forsaken you. You are not alone. You are so not alone that he sent his Spirit to indwell you in the midst of your weakness. And he's crying out on your behalf, according to the will of the Father, that you might be blessed and the Father might be glorified. You're not alone, dear Christian. Hope you'll remember that as you turn to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who hears our prayers, and not just hears them, but shapes them and forms them according to the counsel of your own will. I thank you that the Son even now is interceding for us, that the Spirit even now is interceding for us. And we pray, O oh Father, that you would hear those prayers, that you would act according to your will and your righteousness, and that you would work in our hearts and our minds to conform us more to the likeness of Christ, that you would give us more and more comfort in this world, I pray that especially for those in the midst of severe suffering even tonight. That you remind them that you are with them. That in their weakness they are not alone. That you are their strength. And may we find that we are rejoicing in you, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To your praise and to your glory. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.